Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're telling the story of Air France Flight 8969. A couple of changes. Uh, we are going to try out posting our episodes on Friday. And just through the end of the year, we're going to go to every other week. Uh, so thanks for being gracious and the very best buds anyone could ask for. Uh, we also uh, are going to start doing a fun little thing where we're going to end each episode with a song by one of our listeners. We found out that a lot of the folks who listen to this are musicians. And uh, if you yourself are a musician and we haven't already chatted and you'd like us to share your music at the end of each episode, throw us an email or find us on Instagram. Uh, So please enjoy that. And lastly, uh, as you may already be aware, we're doing a little contest Uh, If you look in the description of this video, you'll see a link to a Kickstarter for a tabletop game called The Vampire. It's a very cool game. Uh, They've already met their funding goals, so thank you so much to everybody who participated in that. Uh, But they are still taking donations uh, to meet stretch goals. So if you are interested in winning a copy of the game, you can donate any amount to that Kickstarter or share the link on your social media and just send us a screenshot showing Uh, however you participated. If you donate $19 plus shipping or more, then uh, we will give you a different prize because that's enough to get your own copy of the game if you're in the U.S. Uh, So we haven't decided what the prize will be. If you donate that amount, message us uh, so that we can figure out what your prize will be. The idea is that it'll be something good. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to these little announcements and uh, enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. We were so close to being on time today. (laughs) We're still not as bad as we... It's pretty good. We're pretty good. It it could be worse. It could be worse. It could. So there's a little, sure? little bit of chaotic energy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and because it's really long. I have 17 pages of notes. Okay. So well, I'm excited. That, yeah. It's a big that's one. A, that's a lot so, of notes. It's a lot of notes. And it's the big legal pad. Oh, my <laughs> so God. So it's like, yeah. You're a professional. So, Listen, everyone here. needs to know. Leave this in. Everyone needs to know how hard you work on these stories. Oh, my goodness. And you work like it's just... a life-saving job. <laughs> I really like doing this but i my hand does get tired because right. i can't type the notes because i'm old but yeah uh so today we're doing the story of air france flight 8969 so i know my mom's heart skipped a beat she loves air france yeah. and uh yeah and our flight takes place on uh christmas eve december 24th 1994 all right uh yeah so christmas eve uh little baby casey and baby mariah are little babying around getting do you remember what you got for christmas when you were in 1994 94 probably not 94 no i think i i'm 90% sure this is the year that i got this like pink wagon not a wagon for me but a wagon for like like a little wagon for um the like dolls and stuff yeah like cart them around in all right loved it but on this christmas eve uh we're going from paris to algeria 
So um, I give you a small heads up, the closest thing you've ever gotten to a tip off on what we're going to be talking about, that it involves post-colonial <laughs> Algeria. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> so um, this flight, right, uh, between Paris and Algeria, or Algiers, the, the capital of Algeria, uh, is one that Air France has done for ages, like close to the inception of their airline, right? So because Algeria was a French colony until the 1960s. And so Air, like Morocco, like Tunisia, you know, like all, a lot of post-colonial or post-French colonial nations, um, France still definitely tries to keep their foot in the door. And uh, whatever. There's like there's like the nice reasons, like there are French people who live there and have retired there, and it's like a French-speaking nation, and it like makes sense theoretically for them to like still have like strong trade and stuff like that. But then there's obviously the bad reasons, which are just the like you're not really ever post-colonial. Right. You're just neo-colonial. But so, um, but uh, unfortunately, Algeria is in the midst of a really bloody civil war. Uh, they had a civil war. In Algeria, there was a civil war from around 1991 all the way to 2004. So like a very protracted, guerrilla style, very, very violent, very chaotic civil war that uh, essentially, not to go into the, all of it, and I couldn't possibly pretend to know enough about it to go into all of it, but the long and short is that there was... Uh, an election where a um, so I don't uh, kind of what happened in Egypt, but mm. there was an election where an um, Islamist leader was elected as the leader of the country, but then other people didn't like that. And so they had a military coup and the West supported the military coup because they didn't want it to be an Islamic state, mm. but right. it's still like, I don't know what you think democracy is, but right. it's it's obviously very, very, very complex. But that's how you get yourself a thirteen year old, a thirteen year long civil war. Yeah. But, so today it's Christmas Eve, nineteen ninety four. So we're still um, we're about three years into this very brutal civil war, and uh, Air France would really rather not be doing this route. It would be their preference to just not fly to Algeria while they're still having a fight, right? Uh, Everywhere we just saw it in Afghanistan, the reality is, is that a lot of time during a war, airports do become very dangerous areas. Yeah. So the area around airports can become very dangerous. There's the Malaysian Airlines flight that got shot down over Crimea. Mm -hmm. I, it, it just it's not safe. It's it's legitimately dangerous. And Air France would like to stop flying this route. But Air France is a national airline, so they need permission from the government to stop running this flight. And so far, France has just not given them that permission. France likes having their foot in the door, right? They like having influence in the region. So um, they had recently re-requested, Air France had asked again, hey, can we please stop flying this route? And they just haven't gotten their answer back either way. So the way Air France has been dealing with it in the meantime is they let, uh, nobody gets assigned this route. This route is volunteers only. So normally um, as a 
crew member of any kind on board a plane, you kind of like start out with your, um, like your different flights, right? Or you bid on flights or it's different from airline to airline, but the way your friends worked at this time is like, you would start out with some flights that you were assigned and you can trade them or, you know, whatever, pick extra ones, drop flights, whatever. But with this flight, it's 100% volunteer only. You cannot be assigned this flight and be forced to fight if you don't want to. So, and then the other thing that your friends does to try to make it, I guess, as safe as possible is it's one flight a day and it flies there from Paris to Algiers which isn't a long flight five or six hours maybe not a super long flight if that um so fly there at six o'clock in the morning turn around and be out of there by 11 30 right so that's it they're, they don't spend the night they don't dilly dally they right. they come they drop people off they pick people up if they go back right so on this day, obviously, it's Christmas Eve, super full, plane is packed. It's an A300, so an Airbus A300, and we have 229 people who board this plane in Algeria to go to Paris, right? 12 crew, so three pilots on this flight, actually, and nine flight attendants. So there are... the. There is a flight engineer on this flight, which is a fun little thing to have. Yeah. Love having a third pilot. Um, the flight, uh, so the captain's name is Bernard. Boy, are you guys ready for me to decide <laughs> in the last moment if I'm going to try to make these sound French? Bernard uh, Delam, uh, he's the captain. Uh, Jean-Paul, because of course there's got to be a Jean-Paul, right? Yes. Um, is the first officer. And then the flight engineer's name is Alan, is how I would say it. And how my mom would say it would be like, Ella or whatever. How would you say it, Mariah? Yeah. Ella. Ella? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I don't know. My French accent like is not very good, I will say. <laughs> I mean, I can't. <laughs> I can't, I can't know because I'm not blessed by your French very often, but, uh, so yeah. And then nine flight attendants. So it's a very, very full flight. It is, you know, a holiday. Um, and they, uh, landed, kicked people off, like everybody who's got to get off in Algeria, off you go and let's load this plane off up and get out of here. Right. So they, quickly are going through the turnaround process which i guess a lot again a lot of the people who work in aviation know what that's like anyway just trying to you know clean a whole plane load the meals do all the stuff you know and and get everybody on board the plane and they're right at they're pretty much done right it's like 11 10 and they're about ready to you know close up the doors pull the stairs back and let the plane go right and uh four police officers come on the plane uh unexpectedly and mm. they say like oh well you know we're doing a final passport check so we just need everybody to get their passports out it won't take any time you know just the faster we the faster you show us your passports the faster we can go right yeah um so everybody, you know, agrees that's it, it seems like a plausible thing that could happen, right? When you're on a plane or I mean that has happened. I've had to ask to see people's ID on planes because you know, for just different reasons. Um 
And while they're going through and and looking, checking everybody's passports, um, people notice that they're armed, which uh, actually is pretty unusual in Algeria in 1994 for um, police officers to be armed while they're doing things like this, like routine things like a passport check. Um, And they're armed with Uzis and like Kalashnikovs, so like AKs. And uh, one of the passengers sees what looks like dynamite so like they're Mm. armed which is weird but they're armed like they're (laughs) this doesn't seem right at all um and it is kind of that weird thing where i I don't know i guess i just imagine knowing something is wrong but nothing has gone wrong yet you know just like that that those few seconds of like oh oh wait oh wait something is something's not right and as they're but they're not doing anything they're just calmly going down the aisles there's a lot of people so it takes a long time to check all the passports and uh the but it's taking a long time and so the airport authorities who in case you haven't guessed did not send these men they are not police officers so the airport authorities don't know why the plane isn't like going like the whole goal with this plane when it comes in is to get it back out as fast as possible and they didn't the pilot didn't ask for a delay or tell them what was going on. So they're not understanding why the plane is just sitting there. So they start to send out uh, like actual authorities. They're called ninjas. That's like the nickname for this group. Hmm. They send out ninjas, these um, soldiers to kind of check out what's going on. But they don't actually board the plane. They just start to like kind of hang back and kind of start to surround the plane. And when while the guys are are checking passports still, one of them looks out the window and sees the ninjas outside, sees those cops outside and says Tyrut, which means tyrant. And then they hold up their guns everybody get down pay attention it's a hijacking so it's a hijacking uh the leader introduces himself immediately which is very polite of him his name's yaya and he tells yeah yaya great name (laughs) he tells everyone um that they are mujahideen that they want to um bring the plane to paris for a press conference but they are also talking about how they are uh, god has chosen them to die and he's chosen all of you too so it's your lucky day god chose us to die for him and you too you have also been chosen by god to die for him and that is Mm. very scary very 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 scary instantly like everybody is terrified but again there's this weird it's not only is it happening quickly but there's all of the soldiers outside the plane right there right and then there's four guys with huge guns right in front of you and then a huge you know plane full of people hundreds and hundreds of people uh yaya and the three other men uh go into the cockpit and ask the pilots well ask for they take the pilots hats and jackets and they take some of the um like jackets from the 
uh, male flight attendants. So they ask, they uh, basically try to disguise themselves to look like they might be part of the crew. Uh, They don't immediately make any demands. They don't immediately engage with the soldiers outside. They don't immediately call and, and explain what their terms are. They just like hang around and get like set up for the first two hours for two hours they just kind of get established in the plane so they it's a long like two hours yeah yeah exactly and so for during that two hours they're uh, like i said they disguise themselves so they might be mistaken for the crew they uh, turn off the music they uh, establish uh, gender segregated bathrooms so on a plane obviously you just go to whatever bathroom is open they establish that these bathrooms are for men these bathrooms are for women they um have the all the women on board cover their heads and they just kind of get set up they get everything set up the way they like it So uh, one of the things that seems to already not be going quite the way they had expected is that most of the passengers on board the plane are Algerian. They're Algerian people um, who are going to visit France. Um, And it seems right away, I mean, two hours, two hours, they're just kind of like rolling around, going over their plans and just making everybody feel very, very, very uncomfortable and scared. Yeah. Uh, from the outside, the Algerian authorities aren't trying to contact them either. They're just hmm. waiting. It's just this bizarre, silent standoff of nothing for uh, for two hours. Jeez. <laughs> Finally, Yaya, the leader, goes into the cockpit, hits the microphone to call the uh, the radio to call the air traffic control and says, we want to take off immediately. We're taking this plane. Get the stairs out of the way. Get your people out of the way. We're taking off and we're going to Paris. But nothing happens because Yaya isn't a pilot. Yaya's never used a radio. He doesn't know how to use it. So nothing happens. He starts to get frustrated and says, like, why isn't it working? Why? And the Bernard is like very calm. So it's like, well, it's because you're not hitting it right. You're talking over people. It's just not going to work. So Yaya says, you tell them. And from this point forward, Bernard is basically the one doing the communication for them. He is he is deputized into being the the radio communication for the hijackers. Uh, he Bernard communicates like. Hi, we need to take off for Paris, where we will have a press conference. Very calm. Just, you know, these gentlemen have hijacked our plane and they would like to go to Paris. So could you please get out of the way? Um, But two hours was enough time for the lads on board to get uh, settled. But two hours is also enough time for Algerian authorities to know that Something's going on. They have their soldiers out there surrounding the plane, but they've also started to like coordinate their own plan. They've started to talk about, you know, like, okay, so clearly there's going to be some kind of negotiation. What are we willing to do? What are we willing to talk about? Like having their people come down to the airport and get ready for this. Uh, And they say, no, 
obviously. Um, <laughs> when Bernard asks them if they can please go out of the way so they can take off and fly to Paris, the Algerian authorities say no. And they say, not only is the answer to that no, but the answer to everything is no. We are not negotiating with you. There is nothing to talk about. Come out with your hands up. We're not giving you anything. Um, and that is not the the acceptable, right? That is not how this is going to go for the guys right. on board. So this is where... So Yaya uh, and another one of the um, hijackers go toward the back of the plane and they've seen everybody's passports. They've collected the data that they need and they know that there's an Algerian police officer, an actual Algerian police officer is a passenger on this plane. He's young, like mid twenties and they go back and they tell him, um, Hey, like we need your help. Can you please help us send a message to the Algerian authorities? And the, guy is very uncertain he like gets his bag down out of the overhead compartment he's really not sure what this means or what's going to happen but he gets up and he goes and at the door of the plane where the air stairs are still connected going down to the tarmac uh, Yaya tells him, you know, we need you to go and tell the Algerian authorities that we need to leave immediately and they need to get everybody out of the way. And he says, okay. And then he starts to step down the stairs and the other hijacker shoots him in the back of the head. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. That escalated very quickly. Exactly. Yeah. And he didn't see it coming. I mean, it's not that he, I wouldn't, he was nervous. He didn't know, but just, it just, yeah. So snap. Now this is that much scarier, that much more real. Um, Because of the layout of the aircraft and because of the um, weapon that they used, because of the situation overall, a lot of the passengers actually didn't know that that had happened. Oh, right? wow. They, they didn't realize that uh, even if they heard the gunfire, they wouldn't have necessarily known that it wasn't literally any of the guns that are around. Um, they didn't know. They couldn't see him, the, the man that was killed. So a lot of the passengers didn't know, but the flight attendants knew because the flight mm. attendants are still, you know, throughout the plane. And uh, one of the flight attendants asks, um, like, can I, you know, see if the pilots need anything? Like, can I ask them if they if I can get them anything? And they say, OK. And so she goes in and she uh, asks them, would you like anything? And they say, yes, we would like water, please. And it's like, okay. She goes and she gets the water. And when she brings it back to them, she whispers to Bernard, they've killed a passenger. And he's shocked, right? Because again, most hijackings, nobody dies. That actually is the norm. In the U.S., we closely associate hijackings again with like 9-11 and, you know, things where there's a tremendous amount of death. But like, whatever, 80%, 90% of hijackings, nobody dies. It just the plane goes to where the person wants it to go to and then whatever, something happens over there, right? So, um, So Bernard and the other pilots find out that 
that someone that they've already shot somebody and it's like okay whoa this is this is serious because this isn't a hijacking that's about stealing an aircraft and using it it's not a hijacking about getting somebody to a third country where they can to like another country where they can um, claim asylum or you know it's not about this or that when they talk about being chosen to die and they talk about us being chosen to die they're saying that because they are willing to and maybe intend to kill us Mm. So Bernard is still in this position of trying to uh, coordinate and communicate with the Algerian authorities. But even after that passenger is killed, they still, they don't budge, right? There's just nothing to talk about as far as they're, ta- they're concerned. Come out with your hands up. There's nothing that you can do, nothing you can say. We're, you're not flying this plane to France. You're not leaving here. Like this is ending here, no matter what. So they're not budging. Bernard is in the position of needing to be the one to communicate to them, like, please let us go, which again, does Bernard even want them to go? What's going to happen if they go to like Paris? Like, what's going to happen if the plane takes off? What's going to happen if you give them what we want? Who knows? But you're in the position of advocating for that because you don't want to get shot, right? So the... um, French authorities, now that someone has been killed, the French authorities are starting to like, they're assembling, right? They're all coming back from Christmas vacation, honestly, right? Because it's Christmas Eve when this is happening. And uh, the French authorities say like, can we negotiate with them? Like it's a French plane. There are, I think, 75 or 85 with the crew, maybe um, French passengers on board. It is mostly Algerians, but there's a large there's a lot of French people on board. It's our aircraft. Like France is basically like we like asserting this idea that we have a right to or we want to help you negotiate. And Algeria is like, no, no, we got this. They're not going anywhere. Like we're handling this back off. And okay. uh, after this passenger is killed, Air Fran- or France again is like, we would really, really like to please help with this, right. you know, and uh, Algeria is like, you know, no, we got it. So uh, because uh, there's just three, three groups of people are just yeah. in this stuck stalemate Four God. groups of people, really like France is like, hi, we'd like to help. And Algeria <laughs> is like, no. So they're just stuck. Algeria is like, you should come out with your hands up. And they're like, no. So they're stuck. The passengers <laughs> are like, we would not like to die. And the hijackers are like, no, you're going to die. So they're stuck. And the hijackers are like we would like to fly to paris and everyone says no so they're stuck so everyone is just in this stuck position Miserable so stuck on christmas eve oh my gosh horrible <laughs> horrible horrible and in the meantime there's the threat of death right everybody's yeah. scared it's like heightened in that way so uh the hijackers are again not getting the answer that they want from the algerian authorities they don't know what else is going on they don't know what the deal is between algeria and france that's invisible to them but they are not getting the answer that they want from algeria and so they say okay then we're going to need another passenger to send them a message they go back, Yaya and that other, the same other hijacker go back and find a passenger who's a, actually like a Vietnamese diplomat. 
So somebody who has just no dog in this fight at all, not French, not Algerian, Vietnamese, like, and he, when they come and select him, he's clearly like very relaxed. He like gets his bags. He's like very, very, very clearly like, yeah, of course they're going to let me go because what the heck would anyone want with me? Right. You know, like I'm who can well, the, why yeah there's like an expectation of neutrality with diplomats they exactly have to have like a certain exactly. demeanor yeah right right so he it makes sense to him that literally the only he's you know algeria is not full of vietnamese people right like he's he's right. just like he and what i mean by that is just that he it's that nobody could possibly want to hurt him because there's right. no reason for anyone to hurt him he gets up they tell him uh at the door they say you know can you you know please go and demand that you know we be allowed to take off which again he's literally a diplomat he says and okay did they know he was a diplomat at this time yeah he has a diplomatic dip- passport okay perfect. he has okay. a diplomatic passport yeah so that's when they when they check the passports they got um anybody who works in an embassy will have their diplomatic passport right and right. then um they also got the general numbers on who's from where so they tell him can you please go and tell the algerian authorities that we need to take off for paris the vietnamese diplomat says yep and he turns around to step down the stairs and the same hijacker shoots him in the back of the head no no you can't no like don't shoot anybody but don't shoot a diplomat I know. And like for what? For nothing. And I think it actually goes, it's the same quality working against you instead of for you. Right. So he's a diplomat. So you do anticipate being treated neutrally, right? You don't anticipate being targeted negatively. You anticipate people to go like, well, we can't hurt them. The same way journalists in most contacts most conflicts are kind of able to move with some protection some sense of safety and he's but he's a diplomat and he's again vietnamese which makes him very very easy to otherize right vietnamese so nobody can accuse him of like working for or against their interests in algeria right but he is also like looks different like the basis of racism right he just he looks different he's his language is different he is like the most foreign and the most easy to other eyes and they killed him jeez so the flight attendants again are uh have like slowly kind of developed a system frankly flight attendants already walk around planes on a normal work day with a bit of a system as to how to pass information along right to to one another um you know without uh upsetting the passengers or getting the passengers um letting the passengers know that they're annoying them or anything like that right (laughs) so the flight attendants pass that information along to each other and then once again are able to offer like oh can i bring you know more water to the pilots or whatever and they tell the pilots again it's not one now it's two and that escalation like you said it's this is a very short period of time nothing happened for two hours and now two people have already been shot bernard gets on the um radio again and says like we need to leave like we are they are going to shoot us one by one 
until they're allowed to take off. Like we need some movement on this. We need a resolution on this. We need to be able to take off. And we just go back to stalemate. We just go back. Algerian, the Algerian authorities say, no, we're not negotiating with you. Come out with your hands up. And everything just kind of falls back into nothingness for a minute. Right. The um, passengers are interacting with the hijackers beyond just these hideous interactions. There's um, lofty is another one of the, the blah, blah, blah. lofty is the name of one of the hijackers. He gives his name and he's um, very zealous. He's religiously zealous. So he is actively going around trying to convert people. Like he's mm-hmm. asking people if they would like to convert to Islam. Um, interestingly, he's focused on, um, he's mostly speaking to the women on board like the flight attendants particularly, but also the other women on board. I don't know if it's because he's made them like cover their hair or, or what it is, but he's asking people to convert. And some of the flight attendants are like, sure, bud. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We convert. We're, we do it. Right. And they are trying to well connect with him, right. Trying to ingratiate themselves to him. And so lofty is going around actively trying to convert people. Uh, Yahya is the leader, right? And he's pretty calm and polite most of the time, right? Like there are times where he gets frustrated and he flies into a rage, like when he couldn't get the microphone to work to call the tower, right? He like got really angry, flew into rage, got, you know, super pissed. But besides that, he's pretty calm and pretty polite like when he's speaking to people when he's speaking to the two people who he had killed he was polite and cordial with them right the person who's been doing the killing is a terrifying because he's the one who's actually killed two people b because he's incredibly calm about it like, it just doesn't seem to phase him at all, period. Just nothing. He shoots people, cleans his gun, nothing, which is very, very, very scary. But he's also doing stuff like there's a, a young male flight attendant who he keeps, like, he's kind of stalks around the cabin, right? And whenever he passes this one young flight attendant, he takes him by the head and kisses him on the forehead and then just, like, walks away. And that's really bugging that one flight attendant, right? It's scaring everybody, but that one flight attendant, just every time this guy walks by him, he takes his head, kisses his forehead, walks away. That flight attendant's name is, I'm going to say Kristoff. It's the best thing I can do, but yeah, Kristoff. And he's just like shaking, right? The whole time he's close to the door, like his position on board the plane is close to the door. He a hundred percent knows and probably saw some of the death and now the guy who did that is kissing him um and then the other guy they named him bill and the reason they named him bill is because bill does not belong here bill everybody's looking at bill like bill how did you get how did you get here and bill is like i don't know how i got here guys like bill is just like a guy who really 
in no way seems to be like particularly into this really seems uncomfortable doesn't seem happy isn't reveling in this at all like bill and most people most people who end up in these extremist organizations are bill and then whatever like two percent of them are the guy who's doing the killing they just called him the killer which checks out but like most people imagine everybody being like that but actually, most of the people are like Bill, right? Yeah. Bill, how did you get yeah. here? I don't know. He seemed, um, I don't know, I'm not, I don't mean anything by this word, but this is the best translation of how they described him is that he seemed simple. Like he just mm. seemed like somebody who you could see getting roped into something under the right circumstances. Yeah. Right. <sighs> so unfortunately, that's it, our crew. I know, Bill, Billy boy. Gotta get off that plane. You gotta stop. Seriously. So the hours just go on and on and on and on and on. And so there's, again, like as time just drags on, Lofty is talking to the flight attendants, converting them, killers kissing Kristoff on the head. The hijackers are talking to everybody, right? Like, again, some of the, you're just all stuck together in this plane, in this tuna can. And there's that like edge of fear. Like, you just killed two people in like half an hour. And now we're back to nothing again. We're back to just quiet time. And so it just drags on and on and on. Algeria keeps declining, keeps declining, keeps declining to take help from France. They keep declining to negotiate with the, uh, hijackers they um the french authorities decide that what they'll do is they'll move their french special forces troops to majorca right which is the closest physically that they can be to algeria with or to algiers without uh leaving france technically right so they go to majorca and they actually get an an identical a300 from air france and they start to strategize and like practice drills on how they would raid the plane if they are ever in that position right so they start to prepare for that um christoph can't take it anymore with them with the guy kissing him on the head and so he like swallows hard plucks up the courage and he says to him like hey if you're gonna kill me please don't shoot me in the back of the head. Like, just shoot me Mm. looking at you. Like, I just do not want to die by getting shot in the back of the head. Yeah. And the guy says, like, the killer guy, he says, like, oh, like, why would you, why would you say that, darling? Basically, like, oh, buddy, I'm not going to kill you. We're not going to die. And if I did kill you, right, right. But if I do kill you or, like, if we do die, we are all going to be in paradise together. And this is kind of the right. edge of, again, the the very specific teaching that these guys have received. Yeah. And I do feel like it kind of colors the whole thing for me because they don't believe that they're killing like the infidels on the plane who and that they will be like just the four of them will be rewarded they believe that everybody on board the plane is like committing a great act of service by Mm. dying if they die and that all of them will go to paradise so they actually believe that they're giving the people on board the plane a one-way ticket to heaven right and 
that's a very specific belief, right? Like not, yeah, I don't think yeah. that's, I, I know it's not a widely held belief because virtually like what one, 2% of, of Muslims believe anything even close to this. Right. So, right. I mean, everyone, um, we would all be dead if, if most Muslims were like this, like this yeah, is by population. A, a it's way too many. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. A, a billion <laughs> people. It's, it's ridiculous to, right. to imagine that this is a common, it's insane, this isn't even common yeah. in Algeria, in no. that plane, <laughs> inside it's that not, plane, right. there's probably at least a hundred Muslim people who are just like, what the heck guys, you know, right. but again, it's not even, it's not really about Islam in any meaningful way. Like no. this is a civil war. This is political. And yeah. most people's lives are colored by their politics and their religion and so there's that Venn diagram has some crossover. Yeah. But, um, so hours just drag on and on and on and on. Uh, they actually just start to like fall asleep. The passengers start to fall asleep. Mm. Right. Uh, the guys like the hijackers take naps, take turns taking naps. Oh, my lofty. God isn't given up on converting as many people as he can. Bernard like takes a lap around the plane. He gets up and he just walks around the plane. And when he gets up, two of the hijackers are asleep in the middle of the plane. So if you imagine when you board most large aircraft, when you, the plane that you enter, right, where you'll have like the cockpit to the left, the chairs, like the seats to your right. And then straight ahead, there's another door that sometimes Mm -hmm. open because they're doing catering through it. So there, the two hijackers are like asleep in that spot between the two doors and Mm -hmm. two of them are awake. And Bernard is like, wow, like maybe now would be a good time guys like if you're gonna do anything like if if anybody is coming to save us this would be a good time maybe but instead it's just bizarrely peaceful and quiet in like the oddest way i think i would i would not have made that situation like like inaction and silence in time of crisis is my like oh. most frustrating situation that I could be in, like inaction. I don't, not even silence, because I think they're like it's sometimes it's good to be silent in crisis, but yeah. inaction, unacceptable. Like, oh, right, just the complete stalemate. Just everybody yeah. is stuck. That's that like the ultimate oh. gaslighting. Just like we are suffering and we are about to die. Do something. Right, we're about to like, and th- right, being on that knife's edge of like, either we're about to die or it's right. like nap time. It's very, exactly. very, very strange. And then it's friggin' Christmas. Everyone, it's Christmas right. morning of all things, right? So it's Christmas morning, and one of the passengers who's like an older Algerian guy is basically like, Merry Christmas. And oh, he like no, goes around. No, <laughs> and no. I know. I don't know. The, they didn't. <laughs> so he goes around and like serves the flight attendants. He's in the pilots because oh. he's like, you guys have been like working so hard or whatever. And he like brings them drinks and has them sit down and like brings them snacks and stuff. And God. that's it. There's no bad end to that story. He's oh. just a nice guy who's nice to them and they appreciated it. We love but, the Merry Christmas um, guy. Oh, we love him. They called him Father Christmas. That's what they Perfect. nicknamed him. Yes. There's a lot of nicknames in this story. We love <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Or like, what's what's French for Father Christmas? Oh, God. Papa Noel. I don't know anything about French. So. 
But wow, I can't think I can't remember this. Yeah, it's going to come to me in like 20 minutes. Perfect. We'll still be talking in 20 minutes because it's <laughs> yeah, a long story. Exactly. Perfect. So the um, hijackers basically are kind of checking this out and they're like, OK, there's OK. So if you again imagine any situation that you've been in, maybe some of you have been in um Maybe had to go to like the local school or gym because of like a flood or a hurricane or something like that. Or just any time where you've had to gather a large number of people very unexpectedly for a long period of time. That just doesn't work. Human bodies just can't be confined into like a small space like that with no no um like refreshment no new supplies no nothing right so we're 24 hours into this mass 25 hours 26 hours and uh you just can't hold there's kids on board there's older folks on board like there's babies there's people who need to like you know nursing mothers elderly people like you just can't have everybody sitting in their chair for 25 hours right and so like kind of the physical human reality of trying to box everybody in for so long kind of hits the hijackers Mm -hmm. and so they say like okay um and they they call but they're gonna you know whatever this is a negotiation so they call algeria the algerian um authorities who are in the tower and say like we'll we're gonna let some kids go some women go and some like older folks or people who have some kind of you know uh reason why this is really getting bad for them right so we're gonna let some people go and then you'll let us take off right and algeria is like no we won't let no we don't negotiate come out with your hands up just like nothing and um but they do anyway like the guys the the hijackers they let um about 50 like women traveling with children some older folks go and they are kind of like we're made we've kind of we're making our point right like we don't necessarily even need this many people as after they let some people go i think it becomes easier for most people to let more people go right like once mm-hmm. you start to give in and so they say okay how about this they they tell everybody on board the plane and they tell the algerian authorities we'll let all of the algerian citizens go just anybody who's algerian they can go and we'll just keep everybody else on board and the algerian people who are left on board said no they said no because they were afraid that if they got off the plane that they would kill the rest of the people on board. Oh. So they stayed on board the plane. Oh my gosh. That old Father Christmas guy, he stayed on board the plane. Like, can you imagine that? Like you're just you're just going on a plane trip. Like you're yeah. not a hero, right? Like you're just right. going to Paris for Christmas which sounds yeah. so friggin nice like you're going on a nice vacation and now oh and now my you're gosh. sacrificially saying no that you're gonna stay with your fellow person and yeah try to prevent their death in any way you can right gosh. it's just unbelievable <sighs> so they stay on board they stay on board and um the Algerians again haven't really been getting anywhere with this or the Algerian authorities like they really just haven't been getting anywhere as far as like actually getting the hijackers themselves to surrender it's really good that they've gotten some of the like children off board off 
the plane. Some people who are um, infirm in some way are off the plane. Um, but they have a plan. You see, the Algerian authorities found out who Yahya was. They found out his like identity and his family and oh they brought his mother yes. to the airport yes they brought his mom to the airport oh, and they pissed. put his mom on the bullhorn or whatever and she starts to like say like you know hi yeah yeah it's me your mom like <laughs> please please come out or whatever but yeah yeah hears it and like goes to the door of the plane and like yells out like mom right obviously oh i think the only reaction a human being could have right. but then he flies into a rage <gasps> a full-blown screaming rage he yells out to his mom like i love you mom but like no and he starts to go into the plane and he's like stalking around the plane like my mother they brought my mother here can you believe that can you believe that they would do that like he's extremely 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 angry and he goes and there are two people on board this plane who have french diplomat passports one of them is a young woman and she's a secretary and the other one is a young man and he's a chef and but again both of them just have diplomatic passports diplomatic french passports and so he goes back to where the two of them are sitting and he grabs the young man and he pulls him out of his seat and the 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 woman like they're they're not like they know they they've gotten to know each other through this experience right they don't work closely together they didn't you know they weren't super close before this but they are like looking at each other and again like yaya is in a full-blown rage and he said he like yells at her he's like he's like you do you want to come too? you want to come too?" and so she like looks away but like he i <sighs> they grab him uh his name is yannick he's the he's like 27 he's a kid they pull him up to the front of the plane they hold him up to the door and they shoot him and throw him out of the plane so not like the other ones way more violent way more scary everybody on the plane saw this so people who didn't know what had happened before everybody sees this and he that Bernard sees this whole thing happen, the captain, and he r- goes into the cockpit, picks up the microphone and yells, like, do you see what happens when you play games? Like, you're getting us all mm. killed. And so this has, this did not go the way they hoped it would. Now the Air France, uh, sorry, now the French authorities are like, hey, like, now a French citizen has been killed. And there are like 100 more French citizens on board that plane or 85 or whatever. Uh, Like, enough is enough is enough is enough is enough. We want to handle this, please. And the Algerian government goes like, fine, how do you want to handle it? And uh, for better or for worse, the French authorities say, let them take off and come to France and we'll deal with it here, which is just shocking thing to me i have to say i have to say that's a surprise to me and so the algerian authorities call over and say like fine you're going right and they're like oh my gosh it worked they're so excited now like the whole mood for the hijackers is totally flipped they're elated they're genuinely excited right and so they're 
have to get the plane ready to go again, right? But they've had the APU on because otherwise there wouldn't be any light or electricity on board the plane. They've had the APU running and on an Airbus A300, the APU runs off fuel and uses four tons of fuel a day. Jeez. So they've gone through... a lot of fuel they no longer have enough fuel to go all the way to paris um which is actually great uh that according to the french authorities who say like no no it's no problem just fly to marseille uh you have enough fuel to go there and you'll refuel in marseille and then fly onward to paris and they i don't know they just say fine right everybody is just like this has been so stuck for two days and now it's unstuck and they're just going to accept it so everybody gets back into the plane they don't add any fuel in algeria because the fuelers in algeria refuse to anyway Mm. and because they don't really want them to be able to fly all the way to paris they want them to have to go to marseille all of those uh, soldiers, the French special forces who are in Mallorca practicing, get on that same plane and fly to Marseille to meet them, and they take off. Air France eighty nine sixty nine takes off from Algeria and heads across the water toward Marseille. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. So. Uh, before they take off, as they're getting the plane ready, you know, like, um, just getting rid of the air stairs, battening down the hatches, Bernard goes to Yaya and he says, listen, I'm in charge of these passengers. Their safety is supposed to be in my hands. Are you going to blow up this plane between here and Marseille? Or are you going to crash it in Marseille? And Yaya is like genuinely surprised. And he's like, why would you think I would do that? And he's like, well, I don't know, because you're hijackers and you killed three people already. Like, you know, like, come on, let's be honest. And Yahya is like, you have my word. Like, I will not blow up this plane between here and Marseille. And Bernard, like, kind of notices how specific the wording is. And it makes Bernard think like, oh, he's definitely planning to blow up the plane in Paris. Uh, So... With that, with the with the most security Bernard is going to get, they take off and head toward Marseille. The flight to Marseille is pretty uneventful. It's not a long flight. Uh, everybody stayed buckled and just got through it, right? When they uh, land in Marseille, the commandos is what I kind of keep wanting to call them, the French special forces who had been um, preparing for this exact possibility in Mallorca have already gotten to Marseille and set up. And some of them are in like uniforms, like they're um, employees of the airport. Some of them are, you know, off, you know, hiding in different places. Some of them are in the air traffic control tower, right? So they're they're ready for them. Um, there is also a huge number of uh, press that have shown up. The Marseille airport is like packed to the rafters with different, um, you know, press from all around the world as this, you know, this, this situation is just ongoing. Um, they arrive in Marseille and they 
bring the plane they say like okay you're gonna park the plane way over there as far away from everything else as possible because again they are pretty sure the plane is the plan is still some kind of explosion right some kind of death for everyone in the plane they bring it out far far away and fundamentally the negotiators in france have decided that no matter what the plane is not taking off again wow that there are no circumstances under which the plane will get back into the air and so they have that hard, fast rule. But the hijackers are in Marseille to refuel and take off to Paris. So they call over the radio once they get there and say, you know, like we want, um, if you if Bernard gets on the radio and says, you know, hey, uh, as soon as possible, can you please, you know, like fuel the plane back up so that we can continue on to Paris? And Yaya says, we want 27 tons of fuel when all they okay. really need would be between 8 and 10 to get there. So mm-hmm. he demands specifically a huge amount of fuel that is much greater than their actual need. And for the French authorities, that just solidifies it in their mind. Like, okay, this plane cannot get back in the air because their intent is clearly to use the plane as a bomb. Right. So instead of fueling it, the French authorities say, you know, um, explain to Bernard, and then Bernard explains to the hijackers, um, I'm sorry, but none of the fuelers will fuel the plane. They're all refusing to because they're so scared because you killed three people in Algeria. And there's like a little French tinge to this that I just have to be honest that I I can't help loving that like, yeah, of course, French workers wouldn't do that. That's actually not true. Like, <laughs> right. that's not overtly true. They're, they just have no intention of fueling the plane. But it's so believable that French laborers, like workers of the world in France, yeah. would refuse that. Like, this is like the strike capital of the universe. <laughs> yes. Like, of course, they're not going to. Like, <laughs> like I can't do a French accent, even an insulting one I can't do. But yes. like, I can just imagine like, of course, I'm not going to put myself in danger like that. Like, how right. could you even ask me? Like, right. I'm going on a smoke break or whatever. Yeah. But like you're asking me this. Yeah. How could you? So like, again, I feel like super believable lie. French negotiators like A plus. Um, So they say that they can't do it. And Yaya is uh, not happy about this because they just they're in Marseille now. They they did part A. They got out of Algeria and now they need to get back in the air so they can go to Paris. And what they keep saying is that it's for a press conference. That's what they keep saying. We want to hold a press conference in Paris. And uh, they, the negotiators say, you know, well, hey, you know, why don't you just have it here in Marseille? And they, the Yaya is like, no, 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 no. We want to have it in Paris. We're having it in Paris. Get everybody to Paris. And Bernard, again, is like, Smart, And so he says, you know, uh, you have like the whole world here, like all eyes are on Marseille, like there's tons of different, you know, like if you want press, you can even hold a press conference here and then we can fuel up and go onward to Paris. But why miss an opportunity to do a press conference here in Marseille when you could um, have both basically and yaya says fine but i want cnn to be there and they're like okie dokie cnn (laughs) is already here like our cnn will be here right so um they 
tell them, uh, okay, five o'clock, 5 p.m. is when we'll do the, uh, the interview, the press conference, rather. And uh, so, again, we go back to this waiting game. Tick, 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 tick. Everybody just, like, waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, the employees at the Marseille airport, Air France employees, um, actually bring out refreshments, right? Which is very nice. They wouldn't bring them fuel, <laughs> but they did bring them refreshments. Mm. And obviously those people were French secret agents or whatever. Like they were the the um, French special force agents dressed up like Air France employees and the refreshments that they had had hidden listening devices in them. So they brought all these like food and snacks, which were definitely needed at this point on board the plane. But it also gave them the ability to hear everything that was happening on board the plane. Right. Um, and hear that basically the um they confirmed that there's four people on board there's only four hijackers and they got the sense that the hijackers were kind of sticking together around the cockpit like they were all treating the cockpit like their base which i have to say cockpits are pretty small even on a plane like this cockpits are so small and there's three pilots and now four hijackers hanging around the cockpit and i just feel like that something about the the like squeeze of that while you have this emotional stress squeeze right. on you too. Well, and it's but, like very fitted. So it's very like, exactly. Each, like, right. it's, yeah, each person has their Everyone's slot. Got their, <laughs> right. And now there's all these extra people in there, but, um, they say while they're, so they've got snacks, they're waiting for the press conference and the French negotiators say like, okay, so we're getting ready for the press conference, but for the press conference, we want to be able to like talk to the four of you. So can you move all of the passengers to the back of the plane and have the four of you, you know, right close to the door by the cockpit, right? Which was already kind of how they were arranged. So um, I like really tried to find what the rationale was that they gave for this. Like they said, it's for the press conference, but that's like me saying, can I borrow your car? It's for my birthday. Like there's still not enough data in there. Like what is the car for? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like what, what, like it's, you say it's for the press conference, but what, how does it help the press conference (laughs) for the passengers to be in the back? But I never, I didn't find the rationale that they offered and maybe they didn't offer any, but these guys have been awake now for like 50 hours or not awake because they took naps, but they've been on this very uh, (laughs) stressful endeavor for a long time. So whatever they, they say, yeah, good idea. And they put all the passengers in the back of the plane, which uh, fits into the plan that the French special forces have been developing, which is to um, have three air stairs suddenly like all at once, like drive the three air stairs up to the plane all at the same time two in the back at the two emergency exits in the back of the plane and one at the door like the main cabin door right um and or l1 so that's the the plan is to all at once do all three to open um l1 the main door that you like enter a plane from into the 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 main door that you use (laughs) to get onto a plane close to the cockpit right so to open that one first and basically to immediately start to engage so the idea is that they expect or assume or hope that or don't I mean that the that the hijackers will kind of use the cockpit itself as cover so they anticipate that they're going to go into the cockpit 
all four of them. And so their plan is basically to send eight men um, up the air stairs through that door and then one at a time because it's such a confined space. One at a time have basically one of them fire into the cockpit until he's wounded and then he steps back and then the next one goes and fires till he's wounded. So it's like a very, mm, very, like very... No, very dangerous plan. A yeah. plan that absolutely assumes, and I guess, again, I, I French Special Forces are like an elite armed yeah. force, right? But I, like, I don't think I would like love hearing a plan where it's like, <laughs> right. okay, so you're going to do this until you get shot. But I guess yeah. that is what the military is like. I don't know. So yeah. it's a very dangerous mission, and there's no way to make it a safe mission, right? There's no safe version of this. They also have, um, snipers on the roof of the airport um but they aren't sure if they'll be able to use that at all because there's three pilots in the plane and again the the hijackers have taken on some of the clothing of the crew so the question as to like who's actually crew and who's not is like very difficult one to answer so i'm pretty sure they're kind of Again, just anticipating some people are going to die besides the hijackers. And but if we don't do anything or if we just let them, if we wait forever, if we let them take off, then they're all going to die. Like just that very crude math that you have to do in that position. It's really like the worst version of the math that we talk about, like this very heroic calculation that pilots sometimes make where they're like trying to put their plane down somewhere where it won't hurt other people on the ground. It's kind of like a worse version of that, like the assumption that everyone on board the plane could die. So we have to try to maximize the how many lives we save. I don't know. Right. (sighs) So they are hoping that what they can do is by doing that, by sending eight guys in and um, having them immediately engage the cockpit. They're hoping to pin all four of the hijackers in the cockpit, unfortunately, with the three pilots and separate them from the passengers. And they're hoping that with two emergency exits open in the back of the plane and two sets of air stairs that they can get all of the passengers off pretty quickly. That's the hope, right? So um, that's their plan. But while they're making their plan, right, and getting everything into position for that, because they don't want to, they have to, like, get the air stairs close in, like, a sneaky way. They can't just drive them up to the plane openly. They also, by listening through the listening devices that they planted on board the plane in the dishes and stuff, they learned that the hijackers don't seem to know that you can open the plane doors from the outside. It seems like they believe that you can only open it from the inside, which is, yeah, it's actually the opposite, right? Most big planes have to be, I mean, not have to be, I guess it is possible to open them from the inside, but they're normally open from the outside. So like that's one of the jobs of a gate agent is to open the door of the plane. So, but that's good news because it makes them realize that the hijackers feel very, very safe on board the plane with all the doors shut. They think that nobody can get in, right? So, that's good to know um time like rolls on and we get to five o'clock when the press conference was supposed to be right and they say okay bernard like call him and tell him send out the people for the press conference send the press over to our spot so that we can talk to them and bernard calls them 
and says like, okay, we're ready for the press conference. And the French authorities are like, oh, sorry, we're not ready. And Bernard is like, what are you, right, what are you talking about you're not ready? What are you talking about you're not ready? What? Uh, get ready what do you get mean you're ready. not ready and and in the process because bernard knows that what he's saying is is obviously being heard by yaya and the other hijackers he says like the whole world is here every single news agency in the world is waiting why are you keeping them waiting when of course they're here like you know right. why send them out and yaya again starts to get angry he's like very very calm and cordial unless something happens that makes him upset. And then he's very angry and very, very violent. Mm. And so he gets up and uh, he says, no, 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 no. They're, you know, trying to just mess with us. They can't do this to us. Like they're planning something. This is going wrong. We want fuel now. Forget the press conference. And he says, uh, I don't know if he just becomes like aware all of a sudden of how exposed they are out in this like very lone spot. Like they're far away from anything else. But Yaya says to Bernard, take the plane over there, like drive the plane over to where there are other planes closer to the airport closer to air traffic tower and you know bernard does because like what the heck he he he, yeah okay so he drives the plane and he calls them and says like uh like you're messing with us right you're lying to us and so we're gonna come if you're not coming to us we're coming to you and so they they steered the plane over to like right like a gate basically like right up to the airport and so they were actually very close to the air traffic control tower itself so and the air traffic control tower is where the negotiators are sitting and negotiating with them so this is a big fat problem right like yeah. this is not okay because a if they are planning to use the plane as a bomb like if they did have whatever they don't know what they have on board the plane so if they are planning to blow up the plane and they have the equipment on the plane to blow it up now they're very close to the airport where they can kill way more people than just the people on board the plane Two, their whole like plan on, on like where they've had everybody arranged and you know everything has been built around the plane being in that spot and now it's not in that spot anymore and they've lost control of the situation in that like yaya's not doing what they wanted him to do they're not he's not acting the way they anticipated he would act right so uh that freaks them out and i guess yeah he's freaked out too and that's why he did it so they mm. say like no no wait like the french authorities are like no no just keep waiting like we're just getting everything ready people are scared we have to make sure that the the press are safe or whatever and Yaya's not having it. So he goes into the back into the plane and he grabs the youngest flight attendant, a young man who had made the mistake of mentioning that he's an atheist. And Yaya grabs this young man by the arm, pulls him into the cockpit, sits him down in Bernard's seat. And he says, you tell them that I am going to kill you if they don't fuel up the plane and let us go to Paris right now. And so I just like ugh, the like nauseating yeah. feeling of being in the air traffic controller and hearing like this kid's voice just saying like, hi, like, please fuel the plane or they're going to kill me. Ugh. And they don't. Obviously, they don't fuel the plane. They don't send out press because they know yeah. they, ha- they don't have any intention to do that. That's not. They have no intention of ever doing either of those things. 
So Yaya gets him and, but he, he like doesn't seem to want to do it. Like he doesn't seem to want to kill this kid. And he kind of keeps like putting it off and putting it off. And like, he'll like bring the kid up into the cockpit so that he can like hold him up to the windshield and they can see each other. Right. So that, um, they can actually see in the in the air traffic control tower. They can actually see theoretically if their eyesight is good enough the face of this kid, and he opens the window. So um, uh, planes most of the time will have like those side windows. You know, there's like four separate panes of glass in the windshield of a plane right so those side ones like all the way to the left and all the way to the right um, push out to work as an emergency exit for pilots right so they will actually push out so yaya pushes it out and is getting so 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 angry but instead of shooting the kid he shoots at the air traffic control tower and like sprays the air traffic control and like shatters all the windows in the air traffic control tower and that's it that's it yeah, that's it's go time there. Yeah. They yeah, they the French authorities um, were obviously trying to arrange things as quickly as they could. But now there's like no more discussion. There's no more talking about like there's just nothing to talk about anymore. They're doing this. So they arrange everybody back as best as they can. They can't move the plane. They can't get the plane further away from the airport or from other planes. So they try to get people in the airport as far away from the, the aircraft itself as they can. They send people out. So it, the again, the situation is they send all three air stairs all at once. And then they're going to send 11 French uh forces up the back like so the back uh, air stairs to get yeah. the passengers and then they're going to send eight up the air stairs to engage the hijackers who are in the cockpit that that part is really interesting to me the the air stairs because how are they gonna like and maybe this i'm speaking too soon but how are they even gonna get it to the back of the plane without it like without anybody seeing it Right. So I don't think they can. And I think that there's no other way to get into the plane. So one way or the other, they have to use the air stairs. They have to get them there. And there isn't any way to get it there without them seeing. It's not possible. They can be lucky where they might just not see. Right. But they can't disguise it they can basically get them as close as possible and then it just has to be like what i heard somebody refer to it as like a cavalry like just a charge basically you just have to get them in there and um that's a very scary moment right Right, because it gives them time to kill anybody on board who they want to or if they do have bombs to set off the bombs because that's the big question that they don't know is 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 the plane already wired to explode in some way so they um suit up go out this is happening drive the air stairs up to the plane run up the stairs um the again the hijackers don't necessarily realize that you can open the doors from the outside so that might have also bought them some time so they drive the stairs up the eight guys in the front run up the stairs and go to open the door but the 
the stupid air stairs that they had were too tall for the plane because oh they were fixed God. air stairs. So they open the door, but it bumps into no. the air stairs because they're too. Yes. And so they back the air stairs up and then they open the, the guy whose job it is to open the door swings it open, but it swings him right off the, the air stairs. He has to, so it's like tiptoes on the air stairs and his hands are on the door. And so then he has to like <laughs> smush, smush, crawl back on. And that's, and they're, and they're in and it's to quote one of the passengers it's the apocalypse oh, instantly shit. they the air the french special forces used um uh like gas or whatever yeah. or uh, like smoke bombs or whatever so instantly it's hazy and they're firing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rounds so God. instantly the goal i'm pretty sure they just wrote off the pilots and that is so horrible oh, to say but i yeah. really think that they just figured there's no way to like tell the difference they're all in the same place what are you going to do? And so they started to, um, in the front of the plane, engage with the hijackers. The hijackers are are expending all of their Jesus. ammunition. Like, this is it. This is the moment. This is happening. They shoot uh, the first uh, French Special Forces agent who was at the door. He gets out of the way, injured. The next one comes, the next one, the next one. One of the soldiers got shot directly in his like ammunition like the magazine of his his extra bullets and it exploded like on his body yeah they it's very 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 violent intense fire and in the back of the plane the they actually are successfully getting most of the passengers off right and you know it's very very scary because i just imagine again the they don't know the French special forces don't know for sure that anybody's a passenger or a hijacker. They don't know. They can't know that for sure. No, right. And they're being very, very like, you know, just that like dog barking way of speaking, just like, like, put your hands up, get out, get out, go, yeah. go, 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 go. And so people are you know running out of the plane. Christoph, the poor boy who was getting kissed in the forehead all the time is next to a lady and he says like come on let's go to her but she's too scared to go <gasps> oh. and so he stays with her oh on the gosh. floor oh he just gosh. stays like pressed up with her like it again on a plane planes are so small you've right. been on a plane everyone's <laughs> been on a plane this is a terrible <laughs> environment for this in the front of the plane two of the hijackers are dead mm. things kind of start to like there's like a lull where everybody's regrouping, right? So the the first eight of the French Special Forces, it, the volley has stopped. Everybody is, um, they're trying to get the wounded off the plane. They're trying God. to, you know, and in this lull, right, there's two hijackers and actually all three pilots at this moment are still alive. Oh, I don't like that you said at this moment. In this lull, John Paul, the first officer, looks behind him, sees that that window is still open, oh. stands up, All right. puts his hands on the top of the window frame, still looking at them, makes eye contact with the hijackers, looking right at him, <laughs> jumps out the window. Jeez. Huge fall. Bam. Breaks Massive like, his fall. arm and his leg. Yeah. No terrible fall survives scrambles away yeah gets scooped up now there's two hijackers two pilots oh my god because john paul is not 
there anymore where he was. He was positioned in the way of the snipers. The snipers have a clear shot at one of the hijackers. Take it. Bam. Dead. One hijacker, two pilots left. Bernard is looking at this hijacker and thinking, I don't think he's going to kill us because he didn't kill John Paul just now. Like, he looked at him and he let him get away. He could kill us. I don't think he's going to kill us. And he's just like doing that math in his mind. And for the next 20 minutes, we're back in that stalemate lasting forever thing. For 20 minutes, the last hijacker held out and kept firing on them, injured more soldiers. Finally, one of the French Special Forces shoots and kills the final hijacker. Oof. But nobody knows, right? Back to that idea that nobody, because everyone had exchanged clothing, right? they don't know. They know there's more people alive in the cockpit, but they don't know who and they don't know, you know, what the situation is. Um, the French Special Forces, after another like 20 minutes of no gunfire, they storm into the cockpit and yell at the two people standing there, right? The two pilots, you know, put your hand, like, get your hands up, put your hands behind your head. And Elan, like our, our first uh, flight engineer, is it, like, yes, sir. He like stands up, puts <laughs> his hands on his head. They cuff him and bring Jeez. him outside. Yeah. And the flight, and the flight attendants were outside and they see him and he's covered in blood and oh he is injured. And they're like, stop, stop, stop. That's Alan. Like that's don't get him out of cuffs. He's don't why what? It like really horrifies yeah. them to see them having him in cuffs. And he, the guy, right. Alan is like, I can't, I'm deaf. I'm deaf. I'm deaf. I can't hear anything. I can't hear anything. He's just like screaming that at them. Cause he knows they're talking to him but he can't he's oh, just no. he can't understand them and they're like yeah but you're alive it's your life who cares you're alive because they're so relieved that he's alive so it's just bernard left on this plane and bernard oh. says i am not walking out of this plane in handcuffs oh, no <laughs> so he just goes full french glory like too much pride for anyone's <laughs> good just full on like no way am i walking out of here in handcuffs i've been through this for 50 hours yeah. like i'll walk out of this plane but if you don't believe that i'm not a hijacker i don't know what Kill to tell me, you right. like and so fine they basically are like okay cool <laughs> we believe you <laughs> and he just walks off the plane and oh my gosh in that raid no passengers were killed no way no french none none of the french special forces were killed and none of the crew were killed only the four hijackers oh got my killed God. That, Can you imagine? I literally can't. Like in my mind, just spraying bullets, just b- back it and forth. It is like that. Bullets. It, it is. Twenty five people were shot in some way. Were injured. Twenty five <laughs> like people besides it's, the besides right. the hijackers were were shot. A lot of the French. I think there were nine injuries on the with the French special forces. They mm. um and again some of them were fairly serious. Um. Alan, uh, not uh, Bernard, rather, Bernard got shot in the arm and in the leg. Um, the other, like, there were definitely injuries on board the plane, but nobody wow. died except the four wow. of them, which is insane. So, in that entire situation, three passengers were killed, 
in Algeria. And then after they left Algeria, only the hijackers got killed wow. in France. Crazy. Ooh. I mean, the 50 hours was, was worth it at that point. Oh, my gosh. I mean, not everyone. everyone almost, but everyone, almost everyone. But yeah. Yeah. Which Holy is way hell. better. They did actually confirm years later that the plane, the plan was to fly the plane over the Eiffel Tower and blow it up over the Eiffel Tower. Jeez. That was their actual plans. They never had any intention of like even landing in Paris. Wow. The plan their whole time had been to blow up the plane over oh my gosh. Paris, which again goes back to this idea that like. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Like, I keep thinking about the passengers, like the Algerian passengers who wouldn't get off the plane. Yeah. Because, I mean, stuff like that. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's a big, fat story. That, I, I, wow. Amazing. Amazing job. That was a great fucking story. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's, Yeah. So much happens. Uh, right. It's like, I, like, holy hell. I don't even know. I feel like you don't, I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a dearth of, um, of this kind of story that has like a happy ending yeah. or something like a happy ending. Right. Um, the, uh, the, so after all of this happened, after this experience, um, the, the plane itself was repaired in case anyone was worried about the plane. Um, so the you know, plane I'm not continued worried about fly. the plane. Throw it out. No, I know you're not. Yeah. You're just, you're right you would it. throw it's it out just, holes. just like, ugh. right. It's bad, bad vibes bad on that vibes. plane. Out you go. Just get it out of here. <laughs> but, um, the plane kept working a lot of the crew. So, um, Bernard actually did go back to flying and um, like f- flew for Air France until Gosh. he retired. Um, some of the other crew, so all of the the all of the crew were rewarded, right? Were rewarded with like medals and like you know things in their honor because they had behaved very heroically. There is no question. Um, one of the flight attendants in like an interview was talking about how. For a long time afterwards, she kept seeing the faces of the passengers who had died. Like she would close her eyes and see their mm. faces. She would fall asleep and see their faces. Yeah. She'd see people walk by that look like them and just the that being haunted by that. And that as like when she was at the ceremony where they gave her the medal, right? That it kind of hit her that all of them could have died and that she had helped to save a lot of people yeah and it really wow. did help her right I, I i i don't think she talked about this part at length but i imagine that there would have been passengers at that event right, right. I bet there would have been passengers who had been on that flight that would have come to that and i imagine seeing their faces would yeah. be very healing would be yeah helpful oh my gosh and yeah yeah, a lot of the christoph left left aviation um yeah get out of here christoph like yeah god bless him can you imagine that didn't happen to anybody else not a single other person on that plane had to deal with the guy who was doing the killing kissing him on the head right he's the only one 
just Kristoff yes. had that unique experience. Right. Oh, How, and then he's trying to help the lady go and right. they can't. So he stays with her. Like Kristoff had a very particular bad time on that whole thing. Yeah. Oh, I hope the French government's just took care of Kristoff so well. I hope so. I guess he works. Uh, he works in nonprofit now. Right. So whatever that means. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what so kind, good. but uh, yeah. I um, hope it's satisfying. Yeah. Uh, how though do we know how they were planning on blowing up the plane? Like in this just spraying mm. of bullets, how did they not mm-hmm. blow it up? So their plan, they did actually use. So in that, um, in the raid. They actually used three homemade hand grenades in that fighting. Mm. So it wasn't just bullets and smoke or whatever, choking gas. It was also three homemade grenades. The plan was to fully fuel the plane, like to have 27 tons of, of fuel on board, and then to strategically set off a bomb that would ignite the the um, fuel tanks now i don't know if they could have even so so it's worth saying i have no idea if they could have pulled that off i don't know and i don't know if there's any reason to think that they had that actual capability but that was their intention and i imagine that if they set off a bomb and okay let's say that they are flying over the eiffel tower and they think this is the moment and they set off a bomb and it doesn't in any way ignite the fuel but it blows a hole in the plane and depressurizes the cabin and they can't fly it and the plane crashes anyway or they intentionally crash it there's you know there's a lot of ways i mean god damn it we live in a post 9-11 world right like we know that just a plane a fully fueled plane can do a lot of damage but yeah seriously did that answer your question yes it did 100 percent. okay um i guess i was thinking like blowing like they were planning more on like i guess it's a fail safe essential i mean not fail safe you know what i mean like the bomb doesn't work just fly it into the the building i guess right right and remember kids 9-11 was not an inside job (laughs) and those planes were fully fueled and that's part of why they were able to melt yeah. And soften and weaken the steel beams because jet fuel can that. definitely jet fuel can definitely weaken steel beams and that's all it had to do. So yeah, yeah. PSA. But um <laughs> there was a piece of that. Oh yeah, well and the other pieces in this moment, they were actually very low on fuel, right? Because they, they only had enough fuel to get to Marseille. So that's another piece is during this gun battle, they there was not a lot of fuel on board the plane. Okay. Because they had never refueled it. So. Smart. Honestly, there's so many things I think about. Like, the I know this is a weird place for my brain to go, but all I think is, like, whatever gay agent, like, was working at Marseille that day. You know what I mean? Just any <laughs> yeah. of the people, like, yeah. the ramp people, like, the yeah. people serving food at the food court, like, the regular people working at the airport and yeah. how unbelievably strange that would be and like uh, god i'm like, sure what a day at work 
what a day. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they like canceled all the flights and stuff, but even that. Right. So imagine, imagine that, okay, the French government, you're working and the French government says like, Hey, um, we're canceling all the flights out of Marseille because, because you, um, we're going to bring some terrorists there. Okay. That, that, um, action, that, that makes a crazy day if somebody says hey all your flights are canceled and if you have to tell the passengers i'm sorry you have to leave and your flight is canceled because they've invited some some hijackers here to talk to right like the whole thing is so weird it'd be such a weird hard day there's i I don't and then the next day when because all those people still want to get where they're going like that's the thing your flight's canceled but you're still wanting to fly so i just imagine like i mean there's no way around it and i'm like god bless them they did a great job but i just feel so bad (laughs) for everyone who works at the marseille airport on those days if i don't think there's any chance that such a person will ever listen to this but if you do (laughs) i'm so curious so interested yeah but holy uh, cow yeah Yeah. great job Uh, so much so much story that was a lot of story and you did i was like on the edge of my seat the whole time never heard of it yeah yeah it's it's not i don't think it's like a talked about event so much yeah but yeah uh did you bring a fact my darling i did Oh, did I ever to settle this once and for all? Because he said something that uh, kind of sparked my curiosity because I uh, just didn't know if it was sure or not. Mm-hmm. But the beloved metric system, uh, <laughs> I thought there were like, you know, three, four countries. In the, like, I knew we were among the bottom like, you know, there's only a handful of countries still using it. But no, like, the United States is legitimately the last country to use okay. the fucking... Mm-hmm. 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 Is it, whatever, the fucking Fahrenheit system. <laughs> the fucking Freedom Myanmar units. was like, no, we're, we're not going to okay. use it anymore. So let's talk about this for a second. Yeah, because I've talk. gotten a lot of feedback. I've gotten a lot of feedback from people about this particular position. Okay. First of all, okay. Fucking diversity. Okay. What the heck? Before World War One, there were literally hundreds, if not thousands of measurement units all over the world. Right. I was looking, I looked into this. I was like, what measurements did? Because Brian says I'm a bad comrade because I want to use imperial yeah. units or whatever. And I was like, well, let's look at what, what did Russia use before the metric system? Okay. They used, they had a bunch of methods because it was a diverse place a huge nation that you know so there was like lots of different cool ways of measuring stuff okay so we used to have hundreds and hundreds a huge diversity of measurement systems okay and now the last it's like saying that like oh uh we're gonna kill all of the like okay we'll say this because there's only two left right it'd be like saying hey like we only want one kind of elephant so we're gonna kill almost all of the like asian elephants right and there's one asian there's one asian (laughs) elephant left and everybody's like ew why is there still an asian elephant here we only want african elephants no no No. it's cool you don't want to live in a world say ew about an asian elephant but people (laughs) 100% 
pounds and feet and stuff. It's nice. It works. Okay. Another thing. Thank you very much. Okay. Everybody Ooh, says that it's weird so that good. like, oh, like metric is so divisible by 10 or whatever. Okay. Guys, you know what we call like dividing stuff by 10 in freedom units okay a tenth of an inch a tenth of a mile a tenth of a foot those are a tenth of a foot would be weird because it's a 12 system but like whatever you can do it if you want to you can say a tenth of an inch a tenth of an inch is a measurement that we use you can divide it by 10 if you want to a tenth of a mile those on the highway there's markers every tenth of a mile because we use tenths of miles okay so it's out there for you babe if you need everything to be divided by 10 go for it no one's stopping you okay so that's all i have to say (laughs) that's it that's it that's, that's it. it. That's, that's it. There's no more to it. say. It. That's what for once and for all, the United States is the only country left. <laughs> I think that it's and cool. Freedom I was fucking looking, units. Yes, in Russia they had tartar units before, okay, which is like an old school like cubits, like it's by like the length of your arm, the length of your hand and all of that. That's cool. People like measurements based on like how much this weighs or that weighs. It's cool. I don't want to live in a world where it's all the same everywhere. <laughs> Even see, tons when I looked up I'm not well, I'm I'm, I'm just kidding. I feel like globalist is just something that people globalist is just like racist talk for Jewish people usually, right? Like globalist is globalist? just a word that race like the globalists are taking over. That's usually just like oh, anti Semitism, right. isn't yeah, it? I know. So I, I maybe I don't maybe. I haven't heard of that. So I'm not anti Semitic, if that's what you're no, asking me. It's very possible but... that I just don't know. I just think that that diversity. No, well, no, it's not. It's not. It isn't automatically always an anti-Semitic slur, but it is like how much. So is this like a so like the dog whistles, right, that get used by like hate groups online and in person globalists is very, 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 very frequently use that's word to cover up global Zionist, you know, like whatever, like the global Zionist thing that's against, you know, whatever, like killing whoever, like drinking children's blood, whatever. I'm not like whatever no, no, the right, right. It, it's not like a very in my opinion, it's a pretty Damn. lame conspiracy theory. Right. But yeah. I'm but not globalist is like oh i can i can fall down that hole if that's the next if that's the podcast you out you guys want is me me and mariah talking about weird things like that but and like this feels like a weird thing to say but like for the record i have a master's degree in this very thing yeah no no no, definitely like well i'm i mean your elite master's degree from uh, an elite college probably wouldn't go over like 4chan dog whistles for jews right like i like I have no, the word globalist is like not on my radar. Oh, like other than in like this specific field, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Because like, yeah, I can, um, cause what you mean, right. Is just like, do I agree that we should def- 
destroy the last vestige of diversity <laughs> in our measurement like units. And, what is that? A, is that a fair description of what you're asking me, Mariah? You just no. you just want to be a separatist from everything. It's just this one you thing. It's one small thing. No, American. I'm not individualistic. No, know, you kidding. wouldn't. You and Brian just know how to like, because I'm literally. You just to push your buttons. He's just the most comrade, comrade ever, in the best way. I am. I'm a good comrade, and you I think are. that a good comrade would embrace the diversity of units in the world. <laughs> and I think, I think that like it's cool. We'll let you have it. And we'll let you have it. Thank you. I want I mean, to we're keep all it. Using so. it. Like, we're using it. Yeah. You're winning right now. So. <laughs> well, depending on how you look at it, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if here in America, definitely winning. But but isn't uh, it just such a yeah. freaking hassle to switch? Oh, my God. Like, it seems it like a nightmare. I mean, terrible. I am all for one system, but do it after I'm gone. Because I just. I, it, oh. After, after you're gone, you mean like after you specifically, die? like do it after you specifically yeah. me. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, so like you get so, like, it. I'm on your like, side. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Logistically, like realistically, no, fuck that. Like, but oh my do gosh. I think everything divisible by ten would be great. It would be. It just it would is be divisible There's twelve by inches 10. in a foot. Just, it fucks it up. It just. You, <laughs> But you can just divide it by 10. No one will stop you from dividing a foot by 10 and just say a tenth of a foot. <laughs> That's too much math. You can divide anything by 10. But I know when Brian was talking to me about this, because my own husband is against me on this, but <laughs> but he was saying like, he's like, but then, you know, like like he his father works in like is a machinist and like works with yeah. all these small measurements. And um it he was like, but then it's like eight sixty fourths was just the example he used, just choosing random numbers. And I was like, but it's just fractions, and that's just like one eighth. And Brian is like, get away from me! Like, I don't yeah, want. The fuck it's the whole that. point is that it's, right. It's like right. it's that's just the point. I don't want to have to deal with all these fractions. Uh, but if you're dividing everything by ten, you are dividing. That's right. fractions. Right. I like simultaneously strongly believe that I'm right and know that that's I what we love can't it. possibly be right. <laughs> like that's what we love like, about it. Oh, um, I love every last one of you. And if you made it this far, wow. Bravo. Wow. What a day. You're if welcome. I made it this no, far, Casey, yeah. if, if you're here in the editing process, good job, babe. You did it. It's <laughs> like, a long one. Yeah. Oh, but you're saying it's, because I love all y'all and I love you, Mariah. I love you too, Casey. And Great story. Wow. Yeah. Really hit it out of oh. the park. As every week. <sighs> that was a long thank one you. and you just kept it going. It was so oh, good. Thank you for sitting through it. Yeah, it was, it and, was really great. Um, I love you and I love all of you. And I hope you all email us at thepodcrushed at gmail.com or find us on Instagram. Um, tell your friends. Tell your friends. Yeah. Tell your friends about we like us. new friends. We we want new friends. We want to know your friends. And we yeah. want your friends to know us. And <laughs> um yeah. And uh we love you. Yeah, we do. Love you, Casey. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We so hope you enjoyed it. 
Uh, if you noticed anything that we got wrong, or if you just want to get in touch with us for any reason, you can email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. You can also find us on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, fun thing, uh, a few of our listeners are musicians, and we love finding new music, and maybe you do too. So we're going to start ending each episode with a song from any of our listeners. We've got a couple in the can right now, but if you are a musician and we haven't already chatted and you would like to share your music, uh, go ahead and send us an email or a message on Instagram. We're just going to play a different song each week at the end of each episode. So if that's something that you're interested in, be sure to let us know. This week, we're closing out with a song by our good friend, Stephen Jambardino. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>